Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hewn. Our mission is to help you gain your freedom from the exhausting, never-ending corporate rat race. Because time is our most valuable asset. And life's just too short to do work we hate. Thanks for slowing down. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everyone. My guest today is Nate Teske. Now, Nate and I met on LinkedIn, and uh, right away we we hit it off on a, a common bond of just th- this philosophy that, you know what, life is more important than making money. Money is simply a tool to help us live the life that we want to live, the life of our choosing, not what society tells us. And, you know, Nate and I were just talking before we hit record about how that can be a hard thing to do. You have to have a lot of confidence in who you are, be comfortable in your own skin to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to live the life I want. Nate and I both share that value. And uh, he spent 30 years in technology sales. Um, actually, at his last firm, he was the highest producing rep. You, you outproduced every other rep at the firm um, and moved up to a director position there. And now what he's doing is he's taking all these skills and experience that he's gained in sales and using that to help younger sales reps so that they can have success as well. So Nate, I'm really excited to have you on today. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Me as well. Me as well. So I was wondering if first we could just talk a little bit about uh, what your career looked like, you know, and I'm certainly interested to learn more about this because you started in 93 and then worked all the way up until just a couple years ago. So um, talk about a changing and evolving landscape in the tech world. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what your career looked like as far as the evolution goes? Yeah, what, what's interesting is, is um, one of my first jobs, I remember when I, when I resigned, I went to the, to the executive and I said, hey, man, I said, you know, you had a great opportunity here and I'm leaving to do X, Y, Z. And I was super scared because this was a pretty, you know, high, hard charging, high tech company. And he looked at me and he said, you know, this is back when we were physically together, you know, in offices and such. And he goes, you know what, Nate? He goes, you're like every other sales rep. He goes, you're looking to catch the next wave. And it was, it was a pretty telling thing because the company I was at, we were kind of on the upward trend. And then as time went on, it's a typical bell curve, right? You're hot for a while and then, you know, you're not. And we were kind of on that not downward trend. So I, I moved on. But what's interesting is, is technology companies change so fast. You can be a hot company you can go public and do great. And all of a sudden you have a bad quarter or there's some legal issues and the stock gets absolutely crushed. And then it's like big trouble with China because what do you do then? Right. So um, you have to be adaptable in that space because it changes so, so fast. And that's why in the tech world, you'll see a lot of um, people that stay at companies for a short period of time and then move on to the next organization where, you know, they're either getting beat by that competitor and they go to work for that competitor or um, they just change uh, technology spaces specifically. So it's changed quite a bit and it, it, it continues to change now with everything with AI. My son's using Jet, G, G, Chat GPT for like doing resume work and doing cover letters and things like that. And I just was helping him a couple of days ago um, walk through how to make some of the changes because you can tell what's tech driven and what's, you know, what's what's human driven. Um, but it's, it changes super fast. It, it really, really does. So you have to be adaptable and, and be nimble with, you know, being able to make changes and, and, and make those, I guess I would say, strategic changes with with your career. 
so you you decided to um, you know hang it up at the age of fifty after a long and successful career in sales. And I know you had mentioned to me that this was a goal for you all along. You said this was a goal since you were 18 years old. So you were committed to achieving it. But still, at the age of 50, you're, you're still a pretty young person, you know, and society tells you you need to keep working until you're 65. So um, tell us, how, how did you feel comfortable knowing that, you know, this is the time that you can just walk away and, and kind of live the rest of your life? So I did a couple of things. And and. When I say it was a goal from 18, it really was. Um, and my one brother-in-law likes to joke, I saved the first dollar that I ever made. I still have it. Um, but in, in all reality, what I did was um, I never overextended myself. I never had a credit card balance. The only debt we had was uh, mortgages on our house and our lake house. And then zero um, percent uh, when I bought a new vehicle years ago, ever since then we paid cash for vehicles. Um, and as far as, you know, the, the ability to make the transition, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done by far because I was making a tremendous amount of money and I was very, very good at what I was doing. And walking away from that was not easy. And, and my wife, both my wife and my two sons are like, no way, you're not, you're not quitting. You're making too much money and you love the game and everything else. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I am. I said, because I just had a goal. And part of the part of the reason for that is I've seen a lot of people, a lot of my friends that are older have don't have the the physical ability to go do things they want to do. Right. So that kind of scared me. I have friends that, you know, they're they just can't they can't hardly walk around anymore. They're starting to you know lose their their cognitive abilities and stuff like that and not be able to do the, the hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff that I like doing. And, and that scared me in some ways when I was younger, because, you know, you're not going to live forever. Tomorrow's not promised, I like to say. And um, what I basically did and how I was able to make that transition was I had saved enough money and invested well enough to the point that my wife is, um, she's still currently working and um, we would basically live off of her income. So everything I made, both my salary and then my commissions as years went on, went straight into investing. So we paid off both of our homes back in 20, I think it was beginning of 2010. And um once you pay off your mortgages, you know, you're paying X thousand dollars a month. That's money that, you know, we didn't just go out and buy toys or anything like that. We put that money right into the market and it was amazing how quickly it grew. And that's what, when you get to a certain point where you have quote unquote enough, it's like, what's the point of continuing to work the grind and work for someone else, which is a, a big, big difference um, versus, you know, hanging it up and, and being able to look, do whatever you want to do every day with whoever you want to do it with. It was not an easy decision and not easy to, to actually execute against that. But, you know, I haven't looked back. Yeah, not an easy decision to walk away when you're making that much money and you're having that much success. But the other thing that strikes me is it's not easy to not spend money and not try to keep up with all the other people all of your peers that are making a lot of money too. So how were you able to just kind of stay away from the crowd, the crowd and chart your own path? I think the one word is discipline. I, I'm extremely, <laughs> people that know me and work with me, I'm a control freak. Most salespeople are that are really good. They're control freaks. And I am extremely demanding. When I, when I needed something at work, to give you an example, we went to the corporate office my, when I say we, my wife and I were on a trip and we went to our corporate office and I met a couple of the executives while I was there. 
And the general counsel saw me and he goes, he goes, hey, Nate Teske, he goes, when you call my team, the earth shakes. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was kind of, I thought he was joking. He told my wife, he goes, everyone's afraid of Nate. I'm like, whoa, I'm not that much of a jerk, I hope. But they knew when I needed something and I needed to have something done, I would not back down. And one of my, one of my managers over the years had said that, they're like, man, you don't back down. I'm like, why should I, right? My job is to bring in revenue. If I don't bring in revenue, the company doesn't do well. And, you know, it's not good for anybody. So um, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny when he said the earth shakes, because I would hold people accountable. And that's that's the biggest thing that that I think, you know, helped me be successful. But on the investing side and being able to walk away, having that discipline to, to squirrel that money away over the years and watch it grow and compound or whatever, um, you get to a point where you have enough to live the rest of your life and do what you want to do. You know, my wife and I, we're not, we don't buy like Louis Vuitton bags or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, handbags cost and such. She's not like that either. And because she and I are like-minded, that's been hugely helpful with me being able to do what I did. Because if I didn't have that, and if she was a spender, I don't think we'd have been able to make the change that we did. But she's very like-minded like me. So um, she supported it. And, you know, here we are. I always had that goal, I guess you could say. And as far as, you know, the um, kind of the approach that I took to it was knowing that I wanted to retire at 50, I wanted to have, you know, X dollars or whatever um, saved by that time. And, and whatever that number was, we had exceeded it already. So um, back when I was younger, like as an example, and I, I, I wanted to make sure to point this out, when uh, my very first sales job, I worked at Northwest Indiana for ADP. So I was selling payroll services for the small business, whatever it was called. And um, I remember specifically, I was sitting in a parking lot eating lunch and I brought lunch. It was a fried bologna sandwich or something like that. And my buddy in my, who worked the territory next to me pulled up, he saw me and he's like, hey man, what's going on? I said, I'm just eating lunch. He's like, what are you eating? I said, a bologna sandwich. And he's like, are you kidding me? You know, and he would go out to lunch wherever, pay for lunch. But that was kind of the mentality I had. You know, I sacrificed when I was younger to be able to do what I'm doing now. And and that that was that was how I was able to achieve that goal was just being very disciplined and 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 staying with what I wanted to do and saving the money that I did versus going out and buying something. I mean, it just was really I squirreled it away. And I remember my very first paycheck that I got. I had, uh, I had to buy suits it's back when people wore suits. So I went and bought suits from, I remember JC Penney and it was like 700 bucks or 600 bucks, whatever it was. And I got the bill and my first paycheck, I was living at home at the time in, in, uh, in, in the, the suburbs or whatever. And I remember my very first paycheck, the entire check went to pay the credit card bill for my suits. And I was like, holy crap. And my dad said to me, he said, boy, he goes, think about if you had a family and you had you know, a mortgage and everything else, you can't, you got to save your money. Right. So I saw that my very first check and I'm like, man, that sucks. Cause it went to pay for, you know, suits. Um, and I just remember ever since then, when I would get commissions, I literally would just squirrel them away. And I'll tell you one example. I, I had a very big year, made a lot, a lot of money. And I wanted to, um, <laughs> I wanted to buy a new, a new shotgun for hunting. It was $1,700. And I remember I went to the store and I had the cash in my hand and I, I chickened out. I'm like, man, I, I can't do this. 
And I got home. My wife's like, so did you get it? And I'm like, no. And she's like, what's wrong with you? You made, you know, X dollars. She goes, go buy the stupid thing. Right. And I still use it now. So the point being, I just had a, I don't know if I would say a dislike of spending, but a, um, a conscious fear of spending on things that were not necessary. You got to have food, you got to have shelter, all that stuff. Um, but I would just really, I would really think about those purchases and only make them when I knew it was something I could do. And I never, I never like finance toys or anything like that. I would always pay cash for them. So one of the mindset transformations that, that I've made from when I was younger till now is when I was younger and I was being frugal, um, I viewed it as like a, a huge sacrifice. Like I wanted to spend money on things and I was not able to do that. So in a way, not spending money kind of made me unhappy. Um, whereas now I've gotten so intentional about where I'm spending my money that the money that I am spending brings me so much happiness that I don't care about the other things that I'm not able to spend money on anymore. And so like, I think a lot of times we think like in order to, you know, retire early, like you did, you know, there's, there's the fire movement right now, financial independence, retire early. And you hear people talking about how you have to, you know, plow away, you know, half 50% or more of your paycheck and you have to live like a crappy life in order to have a good life later on. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think if you're just intentional about where you're spending your money, you can spend you know, and, and spend freely on the things that are important to you. And there's a high return on investment, uh, emotional return on investment, as I like to say, on those things. So I guess the reason I'm sharing all of this is to ask you, like, did you ever feel like you were, um, you know, treating yourself poorly in any way or, or like living a lower quality life than you could live because you had this goal that you wanted to achieve in the future? Not at all. And, and you touched on it a little bit. And, and a guy I used to work with, uh, he was one of my sales development reps that I worked with for a period of time. He read a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F-U-C-K. And he goes, dude, this book is you. And I hadn't read it. So I'm like, dude, I got to go get it. So I went to the library, got it. And I was reading it. And the most beautiful part about it is, honestly, and this sometimes sounds bad, I could care less what people think about me. I really don't care. Like I, you know, the accolades for doing well in sales and stuff. It's like, whatever, you're only as good as your last quarter in sales, by the way. So if you haven't sold last quarter, it's like, Hey, we have, we're gonna have to whack Nate. So all that is just BS anyway. So I never really bought into the whole game from that standpoint, but really not caring what people think was one of the more powerful things that I think helped me get to the point that I, that I got to, because you just don't, you know, if you don't care about what people think about. Maybe you don't have the nicest suit or you don't have the nicest car, whatever. Um, it's just, I don't care. It doesn't bother me, right? So I, would, I was never one for keeping up with the Joneses type thing. Um, however, what I will say, where I spent money, we go out to dinner. I don't care what we spend. We go on a trip, go large, right? So um, what I've found is the, the super wealthy, because I'm kind of a financial nerd. I study finances and such. The super wealthy that are out there, they don't buy things, right? They make it a Mercedes or whatever car, toys, et cetera, but they spend their money on experiences. That's, that's it. And I've studied enough to know the super wealthy, that's what they put their money on. So, you know, if I wanted to be in that position, that's what we spent money on. And in, in past jobs, <clears throat> I would earn like a president's club trip, maybe go to, 
you know, Hawaii or you go to Costa Rica or whatever, almost every trip, if not every trip, I would, well, my wife would go with me because you got your plus one, but I would almost always take my two sons and they've been all over the place, right? And they've been able to benefit from those trips because, and yeah, did it cost me money? Yeah, I had to fly two extra people, et cetera, money out of pocket. And I would, um, on one of the trips, I had one of my sisters go with me to travel back with my sons because they were too young. Had some of my nieces go with me and paid for their trips and such. But when it came to experiences, I didn't care what I spent. Because to me, that's what matters, right? So Nate, one of the things that I, one of the perspectives that I love that you have is that retirement is not the like the end destination. Like I think a lot of people think uh, you work all these years and then you retire and now everything that you've accumulated, all the work that you've put in needs to last you for the rest of your life. But you've got this mindset that you're going to keep busy. You still have a lot of stuff to achieve and a lot of life to live. So can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy on that? Yeah, I remember when I when I first retired um, in 2022, Almost everyone I talk to, their very first question, dude, what are you going to do about healthcare? And I'm like, it's taken care of. We plan for it. We've got the money allocated for that. And it's a big cost, right? You spend 75% of your, of the 75% of the money you spend on healthcare is like the last, I think, two years of your life, something like that. Um, but you can't let that, and talking about the fire movement, that's one thing that people, you got to just kind of wrap your head around it. And that's kind of the, I wouldn't call it a golden handcuff, but a benefit that so many companies use to scare employees not to have the balls to quit and go start something on their own. And it's interesting because almost everyone that I talk to is like, oh, dude, you're young. How are you going to cover, you know, healthcare the next X number of years? And I'm like, we plan for it, right? So it's it's kind of funny because so many people just um, use that as a crutch to not quit working. Right. And I just I we plan far enough ahead to to know, you know, what that cost is going to be over time. And the other thing I would say is, too, you know, my older son just started a job. He just graduated in December. He started a job. So he's got his own insurance. My younger boy, he's in college. He can get insurance through college. And as I said, my wife's still working. So we, we have that that piece covered for now. But my younger son, whenever she quits, if he's still in college, he's going to get insurance through the school, right? Versus having it be on our policy. And once you don't have dependents on your coverage, then it's, you know, it's quite a bit cheaper. One more thing I would say to you, Brian, I could always go back to work if I wanted to. And I just don't want to. But that just illustrates the power of having a plan, you know, and having it mapped out. You knew that when you left, you were going to be able to afford health insurance. You guys were going to be fine. And so... I talk to people a lot of times that are maybe really unhappy, you know, in their job that they're in right now. And then when we put a plan together and they start to see that, you know what, if something happens with my job, if I got let go, um, I'm going to be fine. Um, and they start to see future projections on what their assets will look like. And they see, well, maybe I could do something different 10 years from now and take a cut in pay. Um, I think that all is, uh, you know, along the lines of what you're saying of just have a plan. If you have a plan, you're going to have more confidence. And if you're unhappy in what you're doing, having that plan alone will flip the switch and help you become happier because now you're working towards something. So can you talk a little bit about 
how having that plan and having that clarity and confidence, do you think that um, contributed to your success as a sales rep? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I was pretty, well, I'll say it like this. I don't care how much pressure a sales manager could put on me. It will never be anywhere near the pressure I put on myself ever. And the most successful people that I work, successful salespeople that I work with also have that. I wouldn't call it a, a, a fear, but a, a, a deep passion to crush their number and be super successful. And as I, when I was a younger buck, I'll, let, I'll be very blunt. I just cared about money, right? Work, close the deals, work, close the deals. But at, at some point I was like, you know what? Because I, I study a lot of uh, successful salespeople and stuff like that as well. Some of the super successful sales folks out there, they know the money will come, right? If you focus on addressing your customers' needs and be super, super uh, diligent with that, everything else will fall into place. And I remember when I quit, I had some really good customers that I would work with in different companies. I remember one guy, he said, man, I'm going to miss working with you, Nate. He goes, you're just a problem solver. And he said, when I would have an issue, I'd call you up. Back to my point about our attorney saying the ground shakes when I, when I call, I would light people up, not in an ignorant way, but like, look, these guys need X, Y, Z, do it, right? And I wasn't that much of a dick about it, but you know what I'm saying? I had, I had held people accountable. And when everyone's in the boat with you, everything works better. So I would engage certain executives, not the shitty executives, but the good executives. And I would bring them into my deals. And you have, everything's just elevated when you bring those, those individuals in because customers expect that too. I never worked for a really big company. Um, it was always kind of more of the startup, younger companies. And um, you, customers expect that, right? They expect you to have you know, that executive um, alignment, so to speak. So I would, I would engage people with that. But yeah, it absolutely, having that focus on the target date of whatever it was, uh, August of 22, I think it was. Um, actually, it was my dad's birthday. My dad is deceased already, but I had retired on his birthday because he would have been happy as hell that I did that. So it was just kind of a date I picked up. For, but, um, but yeah, to your point, having that, having that, um, having that target out there, I worked like a man possessed to make sure I hit that target and was comfortable in doing so. And, and like I said earlier, it was not easy. It's very hard to walk away from a fat commission that you're getting, you know, on a regular basis because you're, you're crushing it. But I will say I had heard kind of through the grapevine, one of the executives like, Oh, Nate's never going to leave. He loves the company. And I'm like, Oh yeah, we'll see about that. Because I, and I told that manager, I said, you know what? I said, one of these days, the money's not going to be enough. It's just not right. And I love what I did. I love the customers. But when you get to a point where you've got enough, what's the point, right? Why, why continue to put the stressors on yourself and everything else? And kind of to your question earlier on, you know, I really kind of get excited about helping younger people. And I'm still trying to find a politically correct word to use other than younger, um, but like newer sales execs, helping them be able to learn how to, you know, do deals and such. And, and the, the, one of the other things I'll say too is I know that I'm doing things right from a financial standpoint because people will ask me questions, right? I've got some buddies that do it. I've got family, nieces, nephews. They come to me with money questions. And more often than not, it's, it's a simple question of, hey, what do you think I should do? I just got a bonus. I'm like, you know what? I said, save it. But I said, do something nice for yourself, right? It's found money. 
go do something. Take your lady or significant other, whatever, out to dinner. Do something like that. Maybe buy a gift for them. Buy something for yourself, but save it. And I told him, look, when you're 60, whatever, I said, you're going to thank Uncle Nate, you know, my nieces and nephews, that is, for, um, for giving you that guidance because I was able to do it. And it, it changed, changed my life for sure. Yeah. So with the amount of income that you were making, in your career. I mean, we already touched on this. You left a lot of money on the table. If you would have worked another 10 years, who knows what that would have been? I mean, millions probably, right? And so you left that on the table to retire. Yeah, you could have made millions more, but doing work that's fulfilling and serving people and helping people seems to be bringing you quite a bit of happiness these days. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah. So what I'm doing now is... Um... I'm working with with younger, again, I'm trying to find a politically correct word to use, but um, newer sales execs that are either going from like a sales development role into an account exec role. And in a past job, I helped some of the folks do that um, where they were, you know, kind of doing just a cold call job, which is a very, very hard job to do. And it's just a continual grind every day. And the ones that want to get to become a sales exec, it's a big jump right? Because you're thrown to the wolves. If you don't sell something, you're going to get fired. It's that simple. So having that, you know, kind of discipline to plan your work, work your plan. That's what I've been able to help show people um, how to do. And it's not, you know, it's not rocket science by any means, but it is, you know, doing what your customers, doing what is best for your customers, because if you do that, it's going to change the whole game. And I remember specifically, I used to have a customer in Alaska a few jobs ago, and we did a demo of some new software and it smelled funny to me, right? And I called the sales engineer after we got off the phone with the customer. I'm like, hey, man, I said, with what we just showed them, is that going to work for them? And he goes, honestly, no. He goes, it will. You know, we got to make some changes, blah, blah, blah. But right now it's not going to work. So I'm like, okay, got it. I immediately called that customer and I said, hey, I, I remember her name was Mary Ellen. I said, hey, Mary Ellen. I said, well, we just talked to you about for the last hour. I said, it's not going to work for you right now. It's going to in a few months. You know, we're working on some changes to it. But right now it's not going to work. And it was dead silence on the phone. And she's like, Nate, she goes, I've been doing this for 30 years. You're the first salesperson that's ever called me and told me something like that. And I'm like, well, what good does it do? I said, if I were to sell you that software and it didn't work, you'd get pissed off at me, Right. You're going to lose confidence in the company, confidence in me, et cetera. And fast forward later on down the road, they ended up buying it and did a big consulting engagement. It was like a million dollar project later on. But had I not done that and had I shoved that $100,000 product down their throats, they'd have been like, that's not going to work, right? So I've seen enough where brutal honesty sometimes is the best policy. And one other thing I'll point out too is I remember talking with a customer and I could tell he was pissed off. Maybe his wife was mad at him. I don't know. But I called him up and, and he was really short. So I just paused. And I said, his name was Brian, by the way. I said, hey, Brian, I said, are you having a bad day? And he said, you know what, Nate? I am. My wife's pissed at me and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of rambled for like three minutes. I'm like, man, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'll let you go. He's like, you know what? He goes, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. He goes, what were you calling me about? So sometimes brutal honesty, brutal honesty and just hitting it head on makes a huge difference. And I think a lot of salespeople, when they're newer to the game, they're afraid to just be very blunt and 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 straightforward because you always you know you never want to bullcrap an answer because the customer's going to sniff it out, right? If you don't know, 
go ahead and say something. I remember one of my first, uh, he was a, he was a colleague and then became my boss. This guy, Ross Parr, Chicago guy. He told me one time when he was a newer sales rep, he was selling maybe copiers or something like that. I remember he told me, he said, when I started selling copiers or computer systems, whatever it was, he said, I went to a customer and I didn't know any of the answers. They said, well, Ross, can it do this? Can it do that? He kept saying, I don't know, but I will find out. And after like the third or fourth time, the customer said, you know what? We're going to do business with you because you're not trying to bullcrap an answer, right? So he went back, got the information of doing the deal. And I never forgot that. He told me that when I was, when I was pretty new to, into my career. And, you know, brutal honesty, I think, in, in some cases is, is the best route. Because people, people will respect you for it. If you try to skirt around it or whatever, they're going to know it's bull crap and then you're, they're going to lose confidence. I, I think so too. Right now, while I'm not in sales, I'm the owner of my own business. And if I'm going to grow the business, I'm going to have to bring in new clients. So in a way, I do wear a sales cap right now. And that's what I found is just directness. Listen, I know the value that I offer for the right person. If you're the right person, let me be very direct in the value that I offer. If that works for you, great. If not, it doesn't. You know, and, and that's a stark contrast to where in my previous sales career, you know, I didn't have any control over the product or service. So, and I had quotas. So I had to sell whatever I could to anybody who would buy. And it turns into this thing about like whining and dining and, telling people what they want to hear and all of that kind of stuff. But man, when you can just have confidence in what it is that you're offering and be very direct and have real conversations with people, it's a game changer. And so, yeah, yeah I agree with you there. Totally. And, and whether you like it or not, you're in sales. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I mean, you, meaning you, Brian, because, because you are, right? And, and I just remember, <laughs> it's a joke, and I would always kind of say this with some of my old coworkers. It's the most important quarter in the history of the company until next quarter, right? Oh, we got to get it this quarter end, fire, hair on fire. It's like, okay, whatever. If I can do a deal in the quarter, great. I'll take it to the ground. But you don't want to lose your, um, I don't want to say confidence, that's the right word. You don't want to lose your credibility with the customer by trying to shoehorn something in just because it's quarter end. And I can tell you right now, clients most often could care less about it being your quarter end. Right. If you're going to do something that maybe sweeten the deal somehow to help them get it over the line, or in some cases, they may do it as a favor for you. Right. Just, hey, let's help Nate out. And I've had customers do that before. And I have one client specifically that, like, you know what? We didn't have to get this deal done by whatever date, but we did it because Nate worked so hard for us. And, you know, that's just the reality of it. And clients can see it too, because they, they deal with salespeople enough where the bad ones are, are bad. Right. And they're like, when they get a good experience, it's, it's night and day. So I, I'd seen that and I've had customers talk about that before. So, you know, that was, um, that was one thing I always tried to do was, you know, be uber focused on those clients, what they need. And then the, the you know, the success and the money demand will come along with it. Um, once you do that, especially when you're talking bigger transactions and some of the things like I was doing later in my career with, with bigger, you know, multi-million dollar projects and things, it's a different game. Just really, really is. So Nate, you had this plan all along, like we've been talking about. So when you got to the point where you were ready to walk away, you knew you had enough. Financially, you were set. There's a lot of other sales reps out there that have not been as intentional. 
right? And maybe they've been wasting money on things where you weren't wasting money on them. Um, but they're also getting to a point where they're like in their 40s, maybe even approaching 50, and they feel like they don't have enough, but they really want to get out of the grind. Um, what advice would you have for those people? Well, this is not a sales pitch for you, but it sort of is. Work with someone like you, because we did, my wife and I did. Um, before I pulled the trigger on, you know, firing my old employer, I work with a financial planner and I had everything kind of laid out. And he said, okay, look, you've got a 90, <laughs> I remember he had, a, we have a 94% chance of achieving our, our, our goals of, of, you know, having enough money. And he had it at me living to 94. I'm like, bro, I live a pretty hard life. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it to 94. I'll be shocked if I make it that far. So the point being you got to work with someone like yourself that can look at what your, you know, your, your nest egg is and everything and what your kind of projections are and, and have that, have that outside opinion, right? Because I'm not a financial expert by any means, right? You do this every day. The guy, the guy we work with does it every day and they kind of have it down to a, a science, so to speak. Um, but really that would be the one thing I would encourage people to do if they're, if they're feeling like, they're stuck, so to speak, you know, having to work for the man or woman, whatever, um, and uh, and have to do that for the rest of you know x number of years. It doesn't it doesn't cost all that much money. Spend the money, work with a planner, have them analyze everything, and tell them what your goals are, what you eventually want to do, and you know make that happen because you'll be surprised. I well, I should say you'd be surprised you're likely will be surprised that you will have enough if, if you've been doing certain things along the way, right? With work, investing in a 401k, Roth IRA, stuff like that. Um, because that's, that's the biggest piece of advice I would give is work with a planner because they'll be able to kind of give you guardrails. And the other thing I'd say is if you're married, definitely do it, right? Because you don't want to say, hey, we're doing this without having an outside validation that you're okay to do what you want to do. That's another big part of it, um, because that was a big part of it for uh, for my wife and I. Yeah, that's I, I I think that's spot on, and I'm not saying that just because I am a financial planner, but it is important to have a plan. We touched on that earlier, um, and, and the other thing I would say too is just like know that it's not the end of the road. Like, look at you right now. Like, you've got an internet connection. If you have an internet connection, you can work from whenever, wherever you want, whenever you want. You can do consulting gigs to help younger sales reps, right? And so, like, I think a lot of people underestimate that, you know, whatever they've done in their career, they've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise, they have a body of work, and they have value to offer. And if you can serve that value up to others over the internet, then you can collect an income stream for life. Um, I'm curious, Nate, if, you know, back when you were in your 20s, you know, th this probably wasn't even fathomable that we could just sit here and run a business from our home over the internet and collect an income stream for life. Would you have bumped that target up even closer? Would you have said, you know what, I'm going to retire at 40, maybe? You know, it's a good question. I'm old enough to say, and this is kind of funny. I was telling somebody this the other day. Back when I was a young buck, I would tell recruiters, hey, man, I want to go to an office. I don't want to work from home. And like now it's like, no freaking way. You go to an office, you got people bothering you, you know, management could potentially be in the same office. It's a bit of a different scenario, but, um, you know, from, a 
from a business standpoint, yeah. I mean, there's things are so different now. Back to when we first started talking about this, technology changes so, so fast. And you don't need to go to an office anymore, right? So it's it's really different from a just dynamic because you know you can get on a plane. A lot of times what I'll also say is as time's going on, you know, being face to face doing million dollar deals, yeah, you got to be humanly with them. Um, but like we're doing Zoom calls, you know, web meetings like this, that's a big, big, that's a big, big way of business now. And all you have to have is an internet connection, right? And you can pretty much do it from wherever you are, whenever you want, you know. Like even if you're only making 50 grand a year or whatever it is, well, that's 50 grand on top of your withdrawals from your retirement accounts on top of social security eventually. So like there's all these different levers that you can pull. So you're not trapped. You know, if you want to live a better life, there's a way to do it. Yeah. And one other thing I'll point out too, because you're talking about going back to doing it at 40 and this maybe is a weird thing, but it was what I, how I felt. My youngest son, Mitch, he was living at home. He's in college now, but he was living at home and he went off to college, I think at like mid-August or whatever, 2022 as a freshman. I didn't want him to see me not working, if that makes sense, right? Because he knew the grind I had. And it's funny how much my two sons listen to stuff that I would say when I'd be negotiating a contract or telling a story or whatever. They regurgitate some of that stuff now, right? They use it back against me in some cases, which is kind of funny. But having them, you know, see the work ethic that I had and the commitment to the grind. And we'd be on vacation, go to Florida or whatever. And I'd be, we'd be driving from somewhere to where else. And uh, I'd be on the phone negotiating a deal with a customer. And they would listen to that stuff, right? And I didn't want my younger son to see me, you know, fishing every day and, you know, doing whatever I wanted. It just, a, it's a little thing, but I didn't want him to see me doing that. Well, now he doesn't care because he loves going on trips with me when, when he's on summer break. But um, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to not be working when my sons were home. Plus I want them off the payroll at some point. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> well, Nate, it's been a joy having you on, man. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? LinkedIn, send me a LinkedIn connection. And I'm super active on LinkedIn, not as much lately as I have been, but I try to post, you know, valuable stuff every day as it relates to sales kind of in general, or stuff that you and I have been talking about is, you know, related to investing or living within your means and, and doing the right thing financially. Um, but yeah, send me a LinkedIn connection. Um, I'm happy to help people with, you know, whether it's financial type questions, uh, as it relates to living within their means and how I was able to do it because it's not easy. But I will say there's a network of us out there. I've got some church buddies that are doing it. I've got a buddy who retired a little bit before me as far as years wise, but he did it at 58, I think. So having your crew that you can kind of lean on, that's a, that's a real big thing that helped me pull the trigger when I did. But yeah, connect on LinkedIn. That's the best way to, to get in touch with me. All right. Sounds good, my friend. Well, thanks again, and you take care. All right. Thank you, Brian. See ya. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks, and see you next time.